0: Okay, so here's the thing, <clears throat> Ephesians 6, who, who in here has ever read that you can remember Ephesians 6, right? Some hands, whole armor of God and all that stuff, there's a bunch of other stuff in it too. So it talks about armor, talks about preparation, talks about failings. I know personally, I fall down and I get up. I said it, I think last week it was, I fall down and I get up. I talked about Bob Carlisle, one of my favorite songs that he sings. Of course, I was at a wedding yesterday, or yeah, was it yesterday in Ohio? And the father-daughter dance, butterfly kisses. Oh, that did me in. Oh my goodness, that did me in. I just saw myself and my daughter out there dancing with my little girl. Um, gets me every time. Well, he does another song that says, "I we fall down and we get up." That's the difference between saint and sinners. It doesn't mean we don't sin; it just means we get up. We realize we're fallible. We're we're weak. And some of us are weaker in some ways and at some than others, and it's just one of those things. But armor preparation failings, we fall down and we get up. And then there's Matthew 24, and and uh, you know some of you know that passage. I'm going to read them, but I just wanted to prep you for it. What really is the battle about? I'm going to talk about what the battle is about. What's the battle against? Um, so we're going to we're going to talk about that. I'll read I'll read Ephesians 6 now, just for fun. Children, what should you what you should do in union with the Lord is obey your parents, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment that embodies a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And see, let me just say this, you know, just for fun. Uh, you know, I talk about knowing the Old Testament and not disregarding the Old Testament. Exodus 2012, Deuteronomy 5, 16, Isaiah eleven five, 5, Isaiah 59, 17, Isaiah 52, 7, Isaiah 59, well fifty nine seventeen, 17, Job 13, 16, Isaiah 45, 23, Psalm 2, 11, Deuteronomy 32, 5, Genesis 8:21, Exodus 29, 18, 128, Isaiah 29, 13 said that one. Psalm 110. Well, I mean I could go on. Jeremiah 10, 25, Isaiah 66, 15, I mean, it's just it's this whole list of passages that Old Testament passages that deal with just that, just what I read so far. And so, this is bringing truths from the Old Testament. It's real important to know that that this this foundational thing, uh, Torah. You know, we talk here about Torah all the time, or Torah, as some people say. Um, we talk about this all the time, and we say. Uh, you know, there's, there's differing, you know, differing stances on it in the Christian community. You, the big stance usually is, is, well, Torah was done away with. We're in the age of grace, not the age of law. And, um, but there's a whole big thing with that uh, where it's not, it wasn't abolished. It, it was fulfilled, and fulfilled doesn't mean done away with. Anyway, not for nothing, but it's just fun. fun Scripture is fun. I think it's the coolest book ever. Uh, my daughter asked me to fill out this list of uh, ten, the ten books Ten favorite books. And it's this thing going around on the internet. You get tagged and you have to put your favorite books. And I haven't done it yet because she says, and Daddy, you can't put your Bibles. And Daddy, you can't put this Bible, this Bible, this Bible, this Bible, this Bible, this Bible. There's my ten. Yeah, exactly. I can't, I can't do that. She says you can't do that. So she's negated that. So I'm put, compiling my list because I love to read. Anyway, this is an interesting thing. This is the first commandment that embodies a promise. So that it may go well with you, and you may live long in the land. Fathers, don't inter- don't, this is the complete Jewish Bible, and I love it. I love the translation. Fathers, don't irritate your children and make them resentful. Instead, raise them with the Lord's kind of discipline and guidance. Translated from Hebrew, that's, that's what it means. This one gets the, the modern sensibilities, you know, the Oh, this is terrible. They, they advocated slavery. Slaves, obey your human masters with the same fear. This is verse 5. The same fear, trembling and single-heartedness with which you obey the Messiah. Maybe we missed that before. Don't obey just to win their favor, serving only when they are watching you, but serve as slaves of the Messiah, doing what God wants with all your heart. Work willingly as slaves, as people do who are serving not merely human beings, but the Lord. You ever have a job where you see people that they only really work when the boss is there? I remember in uh, boot camp, Navy boot camp, uh, we're all lined up and we're just getting our butts kicked by the drill instructors. And we're in a puddle of our own, literally a puddle of your own sweat. And you'd see guys who really knew how to work the system as soon as that drill instructor would be two or three people away facing the other direction, they would go down and rest their arms. Or if we were in dying cockroach or whatever the other positions we would be in, they would you know, they would let down, rest, and then as soon as they saw them start to turn, boom, they're back up. Oh, yeah, 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 man, I'm in it. I'm, I'm really in it. I'm 100%. And I always thought to myself, man, I don't want to serve next to that person. I don't, I don't want to be in a bad situation and have that person next to me. But you ever beat a regular job where people... When the boss is there and they're looking, you know, they're, they're hard workers. They're committed. They're, they're honest and all those things. But as soon as the boss is away, you know, they act like, they call them brown nosers. I don't know. Can we say that in the church? Brown nosers? But it's true. It happens. Yeah. So I, I like this. I like how he finishes this up. Work willingly as slaves as people who are serving not merely human beings, but the Lord. Remember that whoever does good work, whether he be a slave or a free man, will be rewarded by the Lord. Now here's, here's the toughie. And masters, treat your slaves the same way. In other words, if you're a boss, you better treat your people right. Don't threaten them. Remember that in heaven, both you and they have the same master, and he has no favorites. Finally, Grow powerful in union with the Lord, in union with his mighty strength. Use all the armor and weaponry that God provides. So that you so that's that's my hey, God said buy another gun. That's what I'm 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 that's I'm reading for that, buy another gun or a or rifle, something. Or bow, whatever, you know. Or ammo, I think. It could be translated. It's been uh Obviously, non-gun people don't get that joke, but actually, it's not really a joke. I really was hoping it would be that. But use all the armor and weaponry that God provides so that you will be able to stand against the deceptive tactics of the adversary. For we are not struggling against human beings, but against rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers governing this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So take up every piece of war equipment God provides. God provides. So that when the evil day comes, you will be able to resist. And when the battle is won, you will still be standing. Therefore, stand. Have the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Put on righteousness for a breastplate. And wear on your feet the readiness that comes from the good news of shalom. Always carry the shield of trust with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of deliverance along with the sword given by the spirit that is the word of God but I don't think it gets any simpler I know a lot of people skip over that I remember when I was a kid I skipped right over that you know that that is a command to know the word of God to study the word of God doesn't mean you have to be a theologian just means you have to be as Yeshua said on that mountainside hunger and thirst after righteousness. The hunger and thirst. The Word of God, as you pray at all times with all kinds of prayers and requests in the Spirit, vigilantly and persistently for all God's people. And, and He says here, and pray for me too, that whenever I open my mouth, the words will be given to me to be bold in making known the secret of the good news, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might speak boldly the way I should. I was a very shy person. I am still a very shy person. Shocking to people. It, it's absolutely true. I'm an extraordinarily shy person. Um, it, it does shock people to hear that. They think it's just, I'm just saying that, but it's absolutely true. But I, I had a kind of a come-to-Jesus moment when I was 13 years old. I was a wallflower. I wouldn't speak. I was quiet as could be, uh, you know, very insecure and all these different things. Uh, and, and I think, you know, I retain some of that still today. But, uh, but ironically, at 13, I was somewhere. It was a, a gathering of, of kids, my peers, And uh, I remember looking around, and everybody's laughing and talking to each other, and they're all, you know, having fun and all this stuff. And I remember thinking, well, what am I doing here? I'm just over here waiting for somebody to come talk to me. And uh, there was a lot of reasons why I was so shy then, a lot of reasons. But the fact is, is I made a conscious decision that, not that I was going to stop being shy, but that I was going to stop allowing my bashfulness, that's what my mom called it. He's very bashful. Uh... I was gonna stop allowing that to rule my life and make me miss out on a lot of stuff because nobody's gonna come get you and say, Here, come have fun with us. Here's how you have fun. Here's how you make friends. You know, here's here's how you be a friend and make friends. Uh, nobody's gonna do that. Hey, I see you're lonely. Let me be your friend. We'll be friends forever. We'll be blessed. You know. Glad I came over here, you know? It's not gonna happen. And even today, you know people ask me am i nervous about speaking am i nervous when i used to sing am i nervous about singing no never i would stand in front of a crowd of 10,000 people i've i've sung the national anthem a cappella in front of 55,000 people not that i don't care it's not that i'm careless i just don't have that fear i prepare as best i can deliver the best i can and be done with it same way with when i speak or the radio show i don't get a bit nervous on the radio show i'm not i just am not nervous it's not that i'm think I'm all that. I don't. It's just I don't. I've decided a long time ago that that is not the route to go. Be excited, but not nervous. You know, just refuse to do that. Um, But he says here something I really, really appreciate. He says, pray that I may speak boldly the way I should. And I think about people, a lot of people in this room, and a lot of places where I go and speak, people are quiet, timid people. I teach people to stand up to people that bully them. But adults bully as much as kids. In fact, where do you think they learn? But That's the JV of bullying is children. The varsity is adults. There's people, there's all kinds of adults that push people around and, and, and thumb them down, push them down. A lot of these bosses that treat their employees They're subordinates as as though they're dirt. And sometimes your way out of that is, yes, praying. It's, it's, yes, saying, you know, Father, I I need your help in this. Give me the strength, please. But sometimes it's you sucking it up and saying, you know what? I'm not going to take this anymore. You're not going to talk to me like this. You're just not going to talk to me. Uh, I'm I'm dealing with a... um, an abused spouse, a severely abused spouse right now. And I can tell you scary, scary stuff. And the fact is she made a decision one day. I'm done being a victim. I'm done. And that's, that's a major change. That's a major difference. Sometimes we get victimized by our families. We, we let them push us and, and make us sad and unhappy. Sometimes we get victimized by our own fears our own hurts, habits, and, and, and hang-ups? Sometimes we do. Sometimes we... we uh, either either our education or, our, or the fact that we don't have all the education we feel like we need, we allow that to keep us quiet. Sometimes some people are... I, um, I'm in this one class, uh, and there's people from all over the world in this class, and there's a very brilliant man there from Sweden... Uh, named Buvar, and I can't even try his last name, I mean, it's just, a, he, he repeats it like it's like Smith, you know, but, you know, we just all have just, we'll just call you Buvar, and, um, but when he asks a question, he, when, whenever he raises his hand, well, you, you better listen, because this guy, it'll take him a while to get the question out, but wow, it's always stuff that you're like, whoa, that is intense, he puts it very simply, but very intense, uh, and you just realize he really cuts to he cuts he cuts to it every time. Um, but he one of the times he uh, he said when he answered he said you know I'm very shy I'm very I'm very shy. Um, turns out he's a CEO of a big well he's a founder and CEO he's retired now of a huge company in Sweden like a billion dollar company in Sweden and he founded from nothing but he's shy. He's afraid to raise his hand and, and ask a question. He was hesitant among this group. Oh, there's so many here with doctorate degrees and all this stuff. Oh, I don't know, you know. You know, he's a little bit hard to understand because he's, he's Swedish. But um, it, even the when I don't understand the words, I still love what he's saying. It just sounds so cool, you know. And he, uh, but he, but he said, you know, when uh, Doctor Ellie uh, was saying, "Come on now, you people, listen." I need you to uh, ask questions, because if a student doesn't ask questions, then the teacher must be no good, then I lose my job, and then what am I going to do? I'm this bald man with the Russian accent, speaking Hebrew, what am I going to do? I have no job. So you have to ask questions, so come on, it's time. And he, he asked him, he said, you're a very accomplished man, you know, this first question you've asked, I'm, I'm curious, or like the first, first or third question, um, I'm curious, why did you wait so long? you know, I want to make sure I create an atmosphere where you can ask questions. He said, well, frankly, I was intimidated and, and shy. Not that you intimidated me, but I was shy. I was, I was bashful. I was afraid. I didn't want to ask a dumb thing. You know, and we, you know, everybody's like, are you kidding? You're the smartest guy here. You know, and uh, saying all that, say this, that, that this whole pray that I may speak boldly the way I should, we look at people all the time and we think that, that man, they've really got it all together. It's life just sails smoothly for them, and they may be struggling with things you don't know about. Just like you're probably, each person here could probably if, if all of us had to give an account, we, all of us are struggling with something, something that others, if they knew, would, would be shocked or saddened or just surprised. That's just reality. Now so that you may be also informed about how I am and what I am doing. This is 21. Titius, uh, the dear brother and faithful worker for the Lord, will tell you everything. This is the very reason I have sent him to you so that you may know how we are getting along and so that he may comfort and encourage you. Shalom to the brothers. May God the Father and the Lord Yeshua the Messiah give you love and trust. Grace, grace be to all who love our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, with undying love. How good is that? How good is that? That the guy, where was he, by the way? Anybody know where he was when he wrote this letter? Was life easy for him? The author, you think? No, nah, it wasn't easy for him. He, he had a rough, rough time. So, let's see here. Let me, maybe I'll, I promised you this would be quick, so let me cut this out, because I'll feel bad if it takes a long time. Uh, well, maybe not. I'll rush. Ephesians uh, begins with, Be strong in the Lord, this, this one particular passage, and in, his, in the strength of His might. His might. Strong here, interestingly, if you kind of diagram it, is used in the passive sense, not the aggressive sense. You know, in Hebrew, there's so many different ways to put things. In, in Greek, there's a lot of different... You know, there's the active voice, the passive, with the blah, blah, blah. You know, all these different things. Uh, but this here is... It's saying your strength is His might, not your power. It's not your power. His strength is ours to take. Not, not our own power. You know, prior to the crash, I had a lot of personal power. I was physically imposing, uh, very strong, very, uh, explosive. My, I could, people used to always, co- they couldn't believe I could cover the ground I could cover as quickly as I could. They were just shocked. Uh, I remember one guy, one time I got in a foot, foot pursuit with a guy and he was a real athletic guy. It was when I was a police officer and I was 255 pounds then. And, uh, I remember when I caught him, he just, could, when he caught his breath, he just said, how? How How is this white guy going to catch me? How does big white guy in dress shoes going to catch me? He was just incensed by that. He didn't care he was going to jail for three years. He just couldn't believe that I caught him. So I had that kind of, you know, explosive power and it used to surprise people. I was very quick. And the funny thing about it is, is you rely, when something like my crash happens to you, you rely on different things. And it takes that for you to be reminded, I should be relying on God more. Or maybe we disqualify that more, and we end the sentence that I should be relying on God. Because we think there's some stuff that we handle, and there's some stuff that God handles. God, we're going to let him have his thing because we want him to feel important. And we'll handle all the other stuff. Now, I'm fond of the saying, God will do nothing for you that you can and should do for yourself. He won't. God, please release me from these cigarettes. Or God, please release me from this habit. Or God, if it's something you can do, Look, if if I'm if I'm two hundred and eighty five pounds, I'm not. This is illustration. Of course you knew that I wasn't, because I don't look anywhere like that. But if I'm two hundred and eighty five pounds and I can't breathe and I can't go up steps because I'm out of breath and I get out of breath going to the car. uh, Lord, take this take this weight problem from me. He should say to me, I already did. I gave you the power to put the fork down. Back away from the table. You know, walk a little bit, you know. I don't know. You know, there's some things that, that are up to us to fix. And that we can fix some things are harder than others. I'll confess to you, I I I have an addiction to ice cream. Sounds stupid, don't know. Can you testify in the back, lady? I know it is for it's, yeah. I do. I I can eat two half gallons of ice cream. No problem. No problem. If it's pistachio... well hold on. Let me let me. I used to say if it's pistachio, but honestly, Schwann's ice cream. Those people are crazy. They put crack cocaine in their ice cream. Because I, I get on a half gallon of ice cream, and it is actually a half gallon, not, you know, now they make them smaller. Uh, it's actually a half gallon. I get on that, man. I, th- I figure it came in its own container. It's biodegradable. I might as well eat it, you know. And I do. I have a real problem, and I laugh about it, but it's a huge struggle for me. It's a huge struggle for me. So, you know, the funny thing about Torah, you know, I talk about following Torah, and I'm personally on that journey. You know, I'm on that journey. I'm not all the way there yet, but it's, it's funny because, you know, I've actually felt God rattling me saying, what, you, what is all this talk about crabs? You can't even walk away from the ice cream. You know, and then I have this conversation with God about, well, God, it's not, ice cream's not in the Bible. It didn't say I couldn't have that. that. That doesn't crawl on the ground. You know, as far as I'm concerned, that's like Bible food, you know. But, you know, I could call it manna, Really? Uh, So, <laughs> thank you, Jesus, for ice cream. You know, so he says, hey, stop with all this talking about Torah. Beat that first. Listen, i got a lot of stuff to beat. Those of you who know me well know that when I say I wasn't always a preacher and I'm not perfect, you know I'm telling the truth. But the interesting thing to me, this I'm, I'm telling you, the thing I love, why the Bible is my favorite book, you know, in seminary, you know, you have all these guys that, you know, they didn't live, they're usually younger, you know, they're young guys, and they're straight out of college or undergrad, and they probably went to a, they're probably homeschooled, Christian homeschooled, and then and then they went to a, a Bible college, and they went to seminary, you know, they never have gotten in a fight, you know, you look at their hands, and they're so tender, you know, they're just so tender, uh, you know, that's not me, I mean, I haven't, I haven't lived that life, and so, you know, there's that, there's that uh, rough edge, if you will. So saying all that to say this, that the strength, sometimes I think, I really do think the, the crash was one of the best things to ever happen to me. On the bad side, it totally changed my life. Always in pain. Today, what did I do today? And I dislocated my wrist. What was I doing? I yawned. I yawned in the car, you know, like this, and I stretched like this, didn't hit my hand on anything, didn't hit my wrist, just by the tension I put on my wrist, poop, and she could hear it pop completely out of joint. Well, I I say, I got this, I'll just put it back, because that's what I usually do. I went too far, and it was gross, and she was driving, and she went, you know, gross, that's disgusting. And then I had to put it back to where it was supposed to be, and then it it swelled up immediately, and, uh, you know, my watch was floppy before that, and then all of a sudden, within a minute, it's, you know. And, fit like a glove. If it fits, you must have quit. So, uh, so, but at the same time, you know, we kind of laugh about it now. You have to. You have to laugh about it. Because what are you going to do otherwise? And, but it's made me think about, you know, the, 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 the uh, and it's multiple places, but we're fearfully and wonderfully made. You, heard, you know, we talk about that, Psalm 139, and, and, and it's alluded to in Hebrew, lots of places, the, the wonder at which we are made, that we're knitted together. And I have to think about that, and I have to think that I can put this back. And I said to her, I'm, I'm thankful I have hand, a hand or a wrist that can dislocate. You know, it could have been way different. And the only thing that I have to go back to is that it's not my strength anymore. It's His. Will I fail? Will I fall apart? Will I err? Yeah, I will. I will. I'm sorry to let you all down, but that's going to happen. It's going to happen. But most of us, this battle that Ephesians talks about there, we talk about the whole armor, put on the whole armor, God, and you fight not against in other words, it's a spiritual battle. It's not a physical battle. Remember, what life these people were living, though, so the, the, um, the connection, the tether, the mental tether that he was creating for these people in this place and time was very powerful because they were, they were under oppression. They, were, they had to be in fear all the time. You know, this was not a good situation for them. And so when we talk about battle, they knew battle both physically and spiritually, but here, the author's telling us, telling these people, look man, you don't, you don't really, well let me say this, let me say this, if you go into battle and you wait till the enemy engages you, which is under our rules of engagement, that's what, that's what we do, uh, but if you wait for that, what's going to happen? Good people are going to get killed over and over and over. They're going to get killed every time. If you don't realize you're in a battle, you're going to die. I have a speech that I give uh, a couple Sundays from now. I think, I don't know when it is. Colleen knows the date. Uh, I'm going to give a speech to a sorority called Looking Forward to Being Attacked. I do this, I do these things, and I used to do them all over. Uh, and I was asked to come speak, and Looking Forward to Being Attacked or Anticipating Attack" sounds like a crazy title, right? But but it's, it's, um, it's meant to get you thinking about looking around and looking ahead and then empowering yourself such that when you're out and about, you're cautious, but you don't walk in timid fear. You're, you're, you're ready to win. Teach them what they need to know about not getting into those situations if we can help it. But if you have no choice, be in it to win it. Most people don't realize they're in a battle until they've already lost why most of us lose. That's why most of us lose the battles, the personal battles, the inner spiritual battles, the struggles, man, what I'm struggling with, you know, and you don't realize you're in it until you've already paid a horrible price, until it's already over. You're, you're, you know, you've, you've paid the huge price. It's already over. And so I think this is a powerful truth. Most of us think that we have a choice in whether to engage in the battle that I'm speaking of here, this spiritual battle, this emotional battle, this personal battle, this, this with God, not against God, but with God. We're not at enmity with God. God says, Here's what I'm giving you to do. Here's what I'm going to help you with. If I had flannel graph, remember last week we talked about flannel graph? If I had that, boy, I would use that right now. I would so use that. Do you know the soldier and the, you have the things you put on there? Like the, you know, I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. We had a guy one time come, he was a missionary. I know this has nothing, well, it kind of has something to do with it. This guy came to our church and spoke to our Sunday school class and our Awana class. Who knows what Awana is? It's like Boy Scouts for Christian kids. Well, let me tell you, this guy came and he had the stuff. He had the real leather-covered shield. He had the real sword, which nowadays, woof, you know, we get run out. Uh, he had the helmet, he had the shoes, he had all this stuff, and he did this presentation, the belt and all this stuff, and he he preached as he was putting all this stuff on. Dude, you don't know how bad I wanted to get back up to there, because I was like seven or eight rows back. I wanted to get up front so bad and touch all that stuff when he was finished. But he put the stuff in a chest, put it away so fast. I think I was like eight, eight or nine. I was scarred for life on that. I just wanted to touch that stuff. Anyway, I don't know why. So, But Ephesians uh, 6, 10-20, it's referring to a type of battle that is even more close up than hand-to-hand combat. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? It's a psychological battle. It's a spiritual battle. The hand-to-hand combat is here-to-here. It's, it's in close, yes, it's, it's very gritty, it's very messy. Hand-to-hand combat is messy. My uncles told me about when it was time to fix bayonets, in World War II, a lot of people don't realize, so listen, World War II, there was a lot of bayonet fighting. And he told me that when you ran out of rounds and there was no more coming, you fixed bayonets. And you took on the enemy. And that's what you did, and it was gritty. It was up close. It, it was real world, right in your face, no denying it, combat. Hand-to-hand combat. But this combat is even closer than that. It's in you. And you hear a lot of... I hope he doesn't sue me. I'm going to say his name. I can't stand not saying his name anymore. Uh, they have their own channel now. Who of you have SiriusXM? Joel Osteen, the new channel. Oh, my goodness. You're going, to have, you're going to have everything you want. All you have to do is listen to this. Yeah, you're going to have everything. Everything. Um, just pay this fee, you're going to have everything. So monthly, you can pay annually, get a break. But, but the thing is, is the reality of that of life is, is that it's much grittier than that. It's much bloodier than that. And the Christian life is. But you know what we do as Christians? As soon as we fail, we step on each other. We step on each other. Oh, you're no longer, you're not good anymore. Uh, so we throw them away. And those scars that we get from failing, not just because of that. How many have been to a church? And I had a, this. There's this guy, friend of mine on Facebook. He's a great guy, but he, but he was uh, he. There's terrible heart problems in his family. He's a very young man. Uh, his brother, he lost his dad very young. His brother is fighting for his life. Seems like every week he ends up in the hospital. His mom is in terrible shape, cardiac shape, and, and he has diabetes and he's had a heart attack and he's younger than me, and he's just so sick of this battle all the time, you know, and, and he's, he's really out there with the battle, and he's a little tiny, he's a really big guy, little tiny wife, and uh, she's always his advocate, she's always fighting for him, oh, come on, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this about his eating, you know, because he's got to keep his uh, blood pressure down, he's got diabetes, he's really bad, uh, I mean, he can't work, it's that bad, I mean, it's, it's a bad situation, but he went to this church, you know, because he's kind of a tough guy, even still. He went to this church, and some lady walked past him. He was sitting in, at the thing, and she brushed by him and didn't say excuse me or didn't, didn't acknowledge him and say, hey, you know, sorry about that, or, you know, hey, would you mind if I c- cut in here or talk? To, i got to talk to my friend. And he was offended. He puts on Facebook that he's offended. Well, you, you don't, don't want to know what I wrote to him on private message. So I said, you're a big boy. Start acting like one. Stop with all the, hard fe- the hurt feelings. So what? That this? What, was she younger than you? She, she has no home learning then. So what? Or maybe she was preoccupied with something else. Maybe you stand up next time and shake her hand and say, Hey, I'm so-and-so. Good to meet you. I don't think I've ever met you. I know you're talking to so-and-so, but it was so nice of you to come over here. I thought you'd come to meet me when you were leaning over right in front of me. I just want to meet you. So next time I see you, we'll be friends. But he didn't like hearing that. But in the end, he said, "You know what? You're right. I was kind of a wuss." I said, "It's hurt feelings all the time. It's hurt feelings. It's just... But we're all broken up, messed up people. Churches, you know, if you look at churches, it's it's a place a bunch of jacked up people that get together under one roof and try to make things idyllic like they thought it was in the, the the Acts church. They they have this impression that it was so smooth." Folks, they be bringing prostitutes up in the church. They they were fighting over food, and it was not this, you know, Kumbaya church. Why do you think the Essenes and the the, the people in Qumran, why do you think they, they drove out into the wilderness and, and planted themselves there? Because they couldn't agree. Why is there a second Baptist and a third Baptist? Why is there, you know, why are all these churches? Because people get... Disappointed or ticked off at people, and they say, "That's it. I'm done with you. I am done with you. I'm gone. I'm out of here." You don't have to do church, you know. We changed the color of the carpet. My land's church is going to end over that. Serious business. Churches have folded over carpet by. Who moved the piano? Oh, I'm glad you said that. I was in a church down south one time where there was a huge fight over. This very dear lady died, very wealthy lady. She left an enormous amount of money, and she was very specific to the church. This is, and this is in her trust, in her will, in her trust, exactly what the money was to be spent on. It was to, she loved to hear the, the bells, the fancy bells. She loved those, and, and then she loved this certain type of grand piano. And she said, listen, I'm going to give you, when I die, I'm going to give you the money. If you're reading this, I'm gone. Here's how you're supposed to spend the money. Don't care what some, you, somebody else gives you money, you do whatever you want. You, with this money, this is what you do. If you don't do this, you've got to give the money to my family. Her family, trust me, they fine. They're not missing meals or anything. But that's her, that was her specification. And this piano was a uh, Bösendorfer It was I want to say $155,000 installed just for the piano installed Apparently that's not the most expensive one Bösendorfer you can get I mean it's but I mean this is this is what she specified and then the other thing was these bells well these bells turned out were like $10 or $15,000 and nobody knew how to play these bells but she'd seen them somewhere and thought well this be nice Well, instead of saying, "Wow, look at this great opportunity we have to upgrade our piano to this great piano uh, and these bells," that's an opportunity for us to take classes. Maybe, maybe we find somebody that would be willing to learn how to play them, or maybe somebody in the church knows how to play them and they'll teach all of, or whoever wants to learn how to play them will have the thing. We'll have a concert. Be Christmas. Be wonderful. Be awesome. Wow, how exciting! I want you to know that church almost split up over the Bosendorfer piano and the, the, the bells, the fancy bells. Why? They said this is a waste of money. We could do so much better things. Listen, this place needs paint. We need thicker cushions because my rear end hurts because the pastor preaches too long. You know, all these different things. You know, uh, a bunch of amens in the back. Uh, so So sadly, there was this big fight over it. And a whole passel of families from the church left the church. Left the church. Can you imagine? Over a gift this dear lady gave. And she was just specific on what she wanted done with it. That beats all I've ever... I, I don't know that I could ever imagine. It, it just when I, when I experienced that situation, because I was kind of close to that, I just thought, whew. And then I thought this. This came to me. I talk about this on the radio and I, I use this term a lot in counseling and, um, and just in my preaching. And when I say it, you'll know it, you've heard it. Shrapnel. I talk about shrapnel a lot. We all have a lot of shrapnel. I literally have shrapnel in me. But I mean, I also have emotional shrapnel. And it, it accumulates. Shrapnel accumulates. In certain family situations, when something's not dealt with, shrapnel will start to accumulate. All of you have families... I'm telling you, all of you have families where you're not allowed to say certain things to certain people or around certain people because if you do, there's going to be a big fight. So, what do you do? You shove that in there and it becomes shrapnel. Or if you say or do something, Lord forbid you get a new vehicle and you drive up for the family uh, meal at Thanksgiving or Christmas. Oh, you must be loaded now. You, hey, you're rolling, you rolling in it, man. Big payday, chunk of change. Life is good for you. Can I get alone? You know, they think it's funny, but it's not funny. And then all they do is talk about you the whole time, just on and on and on. I hear about it all the time. Let's say you put on 5 or 10 pounds or 20. And uh, you go, and that's all they talk about. Whew, you ought to push yourself away from the table. And they see you getting a second helping and dressing. i Sure, sure that chair will handle that, you know? It's true. There's families do that all the time, and they think it's funny. Who who is sarcasm funny to? Nobody. Nobody thinks sarcasm is funny. I'm here to tell you, sarcasm is not funny. It's just hurtful. It's just hurtful. It is. It's just hurtful. So, the shrapnel that I'm talking about, uh, it's a battle term. You know, shrapnel is a battle term, but it's what's left inside us after the battle. And some folks, maybe your job or your, you know, your spouse or your, uh, your, your siblings or your parents left shrapnel in you. Maybe it was a church. We talked about, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, we talked about, you guys missed out. We had some amazing, uh, we, we had one of the ones, I think it was, maybe it was last week. I don't know. Was it no last week or maybe the week before that we talked about why you're here, uh, you know, experiences you had in church and all that. And we didn't record that so that people could say what they wanted to say. And, and I heard a lot about some really terrible things that happened to them at church. And I appreciate all your honesty and your vulnerability. It was very powerful. Not in a salacious way, but just real. It was real life. We live real life. Uh, I, you know, my mom, when she talks about her grief missing my dad, it's every day. You can testify. Some in here have lost their spouse. It's, it's not a passing thing. It's shrapnel. It's that loneliness and that, that just that empty space, that emptiness. You know, some of us talked about that. Some of us talked about uh, when we were in churches uh, and people poked fun at us. People were rude to us. Maybe we didn't have the right clothes. Remember my mom. I'll tell you what, if, if there's any high five I will give her, it's for this. When she did those clothes for all those years, as, as long as I remember, she used to take clothes to the needy. That's what she would say, always taking clothes to the needy. And there were times where we'd have that big old station wagon uh, full of boxes of neatly pressed and mended and perfect clothes that were, you know, just nice and shoes were in perfect repair. It just, I mean, just amazing. And she would leave things for the kids. She said, listen, some of those kids that are going to put those clothes on at that church are going to be in your class at school. You don't dare say a thing to them except compliment them. Man, you look nice. Wow, that's an awesome shirt. Say something. She didn't say awesome. She still doesn't say awesome. Uh, but, you know, she, she would say compliment them. Take that as an opportunity to lift them up. But don't dare ever say where you know where they got that from. But, you know, I, I, remember, uh, I remember one boy named Eric. Uh, he, he was wearing one day one of the things that my mom gave. It was actually a beautiful corduroy coat. Then actually, I thought, man, I wish I was that size. I would wear that corduroy coat. That was the coolest looking coat. Had these little leather straps with a bone on them and some kind of deer antler, and you folded it over and you slipped it through the little loop. Ah, that's the coolest thing ever. If only I could have fit into that thing. So, actually, believe it or not, I was too small. I was too small. Hey, it was a while back. This is an old story when I was a kid. And so... uh, I remember I, I saw that, and I complimented him. I said, oh, man, I wish the, I'd wish i steal that jacket right off your back if he only knew. I'd steal that jacket right off your back. I like that jacket so much. And he says, well, you're not getting this jacket. This is my jacket. I love this jacket. I'm wear it all day long. And he, and he wore it literally to every class. We had lockers, but he wasn't going to get rid of this coat because he loved this coat. And he got poked fun at. Somebody poked fun at him. Actually, one of his buddies, who I had seen wearing stuff from boxes my mom and I had delivered, was poking fun at this boy. I said, oh, don't make fun of him. Don't make fun of him. That's an awesome coat. That's an awesome coat. You, you, you're jealous. And I was littler than all these guys. I was skinny and scrawny, and but I, I just couldn't stand for him to be made fun of like that. But you know what? The shrapnel in that kid, he lived a life where his parents couldn't put clothes on his back in wintertime. It wasn't an extra coat. It was... A coat. He finally had a coat. And this other boy, no better off than him, should understand his plight better than anybody else. Should be compassionate and kind and understanding. He didn't. He just made fun of him. He pushed him down, and he thought he was doing, you're right, and lifting himself up. Churches, I'm telling you folks, One thing that makes this place amazing where we are in this place is that we love one another. There are churches out there, I'm telling you, there are churches within five miles of this place that would appall you how they have harmed their own people. It doesn't make any sense. But you know what? I started to say and I want to finish this thought. I don't have much left to go. Um, As a warrior, we're, we expect to be, as a sheepdog, we expect to be in battle because we say we're out there on the line protecting people. That's what we do. A good fireman always expects a fire. We do all we can to prevent a fire. Anything we can do. But you always are ready. You're expecting. Your equipment is always clean. It's always maintenance. Your turnout gear is always ready. You expect, you expect a fire so that you're ready to respond. A police officer or a soldier always ready to engage, prepared to engage. All my equipment is ready. My mind is ready. I'm ready for battle. The thing that I, that in this, this spiritual battle that just gets me, that occurred to me, is we don't have a choice about the battle. We're either in it to win it or we're, we're thinking we're not in a battle. And what did I say just a few minutes ago? Listen, if you thought, if you didn't think you were in a battle, you've already lost. You've already lost. Well, that's kind of how this is. We don't have a choice. We have no choice but to engage in the battle. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll just tell you, I'm going to tie this in politically because this is, you know, God and country, the collision of faith and politics, that I've got to tell you, we don't think we're engaged in a battle now. We've got an Ebola in our own country. We've got, we've got drug cartels coming in. We've got jihadists cutting off heads in an American workplace. We don't think we're in a battle. We've got f- kids with shirts that have the uh, image of the 9-11 memorial cross that's all that's on there that says we remember that are getting sent home from school. It's too offensive. We, we've got kids, a kid was sent home with an Extortion 17 uh, shirt. All it did was have the names of the uh, people killed on Extortion 17 on the back, and we remember. It. it just said we remember. Or no, we'll never forget. Another kid got sent home for Vietnam. It was an image of. Not the memorial the wall, but the, the statue. You ever see the statue? Ever be in Washington, D.C. and see the statue and the tired soldiers and they're just worn out? Beautiful. One of the most compelling statues I've ever seen. And there's an image on the shirt of that. That's it. Got sent home. Uh, there's, there's Bible shirts that people wear. There's American flag shirts that people are getting sent home for now because that's offensive to our Muslim neighbors, or friends. I'm not kidding you. It's real. It's really happening. Uh, uh, It just happened in South Carolina, of all places. You let Nikki Haley, you let Nikki Haley, let that get to her desk. You'll see what happens quick. People don't know. Nikki Haley, how many of you know who Nikki Haley is? Governor of South Carolina, amazing lady. Talk about a smart Fighter she is. She knows she's in a battle. Life is abusive. Uh, Just just the the waking up in the morning and getting to that next step. If you if you're a widow, uh, it's it's realizing he's gone, or you've lost a child. They're gone first thing i I asked a person the other day i always ask this question a lot of times in in counseling not all the time but where it's appropriate a lot of times is what's the first thing you think about in the morning and i'll tell you without fail without fail if they're if they're a widow or a widower they say i miss my sandy i miss my joe i miss my so-and-so i just i just wake up missing them and, and then you tell on the end of that, you say, what do you think of at the end of the night? When you go to bed, the last thing you think of, what's that? What is that thing? Be honest. And they say the same thing. Oh, it's so and so. And if you've lost your child, I've talked to Gold Star parents and counseled them, it never leaves your head. It's a battle. It's, it's shrapnel. It's scars that never ever go away. Life itself is a victimizer. You say, man, that's so negative well it doesn 't have to be that 's not the whole story, but the stuff people are going through as a matter of practice in their life is hard stuff i can 't imagine you know being a vet or, or a pediatrician and seeing sick injured children all that. it would kill me. it would kill me because I love little kids. I just love them i don 't want them to get hurt. Dogs and cats and all kinds of horses and stuff. I don't want to see them hurt. My little dog has has a, a hitch in her get along. Something's wrong. She came, you know, she just some limp. We don't know what it's. And then I'm leaving for my trip. Fortunately, I'm leaving her with a lady who is, should she should be a vet. She's Buckeye's adoptive mom. She's just, she's going to protect her and love her with all she's got. I'm still worried, but, you know, I can't imagine. I just can't imagine. Psychiatrists and psychologist and and grief counselors, and PTSD counselors, and all these different people, you know, you accumulate the shrapnel unless you're careful. You know, sometimes you, you, you don't realize this stuff's coming on you. And then some of the spiritual battles that people are in, some of the struggles, the hurts, habits, and hang-ups that they're dealing with every day. Life is a contact sport. It is hard. And the church is to be that place. The church. Not a place, but the people. And the communion and contact with God. One thing I love is when I'm praying for my meal, I love holding hands. I didn't used to like it because now with the, the Ebola, I'm all like, uh, do you wash your hands? You know? I was terrible with my son. You know, I know what boys do with their hands and what they don't do. And I'm like, ooh, I don't want to touch those hands. But, uh, and, he, and he loved, he loved to hold hands. He did. I love it. I love it. And he gives me real hugs and, I love all that, but you know, a little bit of a germaphobe, a little bit, and so I'm thinking, oh, I know he didn't wash his hands. I guarantee for a week he's probably not washed his hands, you know, and then, and then, so, you know, it's kind of gross, but, but then when it comes time for dinner or something, you know, he wants to hold hands. I love that. I love it. I just love it. That's a healing moment. Now, I'm going to wash my hands directly after prayer. You want me to pray short, you hold my hand while I'm praying. I'm, I'm, it'll be quick, you know, so I can get to the hand sanitizer under the table. But, no, it's not that bad. I'm just being silly. It is actually that bad. That's a lie. I struggle with lying. That's my herd Abbot, Hang up. But, you see, an example of how we prepare each other, uh, I love to train people on self on personal protection. I love to train them on guns and weapons and and also I have multiple black belts, so I love to train them to protect themselves to use certain techniques to protect themselves and I, and I, women are fun to train because they all most of them think well i 'm smaller i 'm weaker you know i 'm sure it 's like that with you with training women with handguns I, you know it 's got to be so empowering i 'd love that I love to to start teaching and I equip them I give them the things that they need I give them Let's see, what do I give them? If I'm teaching them, I give them weapons, I give them bullets, eye protection, ear protection, then I tell them what to do. I show them and I tell them what to do. But if I really want to make it real and I really want to teach them down deep and I really want them to get what I'm teaching them so that they can save their own life, so they can be their own first responder, I get into their mind and I teach their mind and I train their mind i prepare their mind for that moment that you have to decide i've got to fight for my life that's what god is telling us in preparing us all that stuff the armor and all that it all has it all has a meaning spiritually and there's all kinds of a thousand cool things and that are tied directly to what the weapon or the or the because because you know all these things except for the sword is really a defensive item, right? The shield and all that stuff, although you could do a lot of damage with these shields. The helmet's to protect you from things. It's it's defensive. It's not offensive. We're told to put on the armor so that we can withstand the schemes of the devil. And those schemes are always what? They're always spiritual. They're always psychological. They're always heart things. They're always hurt things. They're always habit things. They're always hang-up things. Every single time. And there's not a person in this room, I guarantee you, can't raise their hand and say, I've got a hurt hammer or hang up that I'm I'm struggling with. The devil, he wins, he pushes, he nudges, and he wins. I mention a lot on the, the human emphasis on perfection. Some would say I'm a perfectionist. I don't think I'm a perfectionist, not yet. I'm working on it. That's a joke, Renee. Get it? Um, some would say I'm a perfectionist, but I'm not yet. I'm working on it. Let's if we get a little lower. Did y'all get that? No. Bill's, Bill's struggling with that. He doesn't think that's as funny as I thought. Bill says, Bill says, he didn't tell that joke right. I could have told that joke a hundred times better. <laughs> but you know what? What's as bad as perfection of our, demanding it of ourselves, what's worse? We demand it of others. We're jacked up and we're demanding, oh, you got to be perfect. We do it all the time. Churches are the worst. <sighs> yeah. Amen. That's a good saying. I'm going to steal that. I'll give you credit. I often mention that we jettison our leaders we jettison our parents. We write them off. Our children, our friends, because they're not perfect. They jack us up. They do something. They mess up. They, they succumb to their hurt habit or hang up. And we say, no, I'm done with you. I know families like that. I know, I know families like this. I know them. I'm not going to say I live in one, but I'm just saying, I know them very closely. Listen, I often fall down. I say it all the time. I am not. It's not... It's not uh, false humility. I often fall down. I often get up. It's just reality. One thing I know about God, I try to know as much as I can about Him. Uh, just, I really try, because I feel like the more I know of Him, the, the, the better I'll be able to live my life, you know? Uh, but one thing I know that He's pleased with is when I get up. I picture Yeshua there in heaven, looking at me when I've fallen and when I've stumbled, say, come on, buddy. Get back up. You can do it. You can do it. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give up. I wonder sometimes are other Christians as pleased when we fail and then we get back up? Or do they say, who does she think she is? you know about her, don't you? Let's pray for her. And then you pray gossip. You ever see people pray gossip? Lord, help Latoya. You know she's on drugs. Mm, mm, mm. You know, you ever see anybody pray like that? Yeah, it happens all the time. Preachers do it. Or if a preacher doesn't finish his sermon, you know, he's, he's going over time, he finishes his sermon in his prayer. You've seen that happen. That's an old trick. They teach that at seminary. Sometimes people say, I don't feel like they're humble enough. They've not been humbled by their falling or their failing. Some people live in, I do a sermon um, called Hunting Dead Lions. You can, you can see that on my website. It's Um And it's, it's free to download. But of all the sermons I've given, I think that one is the most powerfully received because I think it applies to so many people. Um, you know, sometimes some people wallow in their failures. That worm theology, you know, I'm lower than worms, and they stay in that all the time. And I just, man, come on, folks. It gets old. And that's not, I don't believe that's what we're, we're, we're done for. In fact, I, or what we're here for. In fact, I would say it's a scheme of the devil. It's a scheme of the enemy. And why does he do that? He does it to isolate us. He does it to isolate us from the very people that can love us like Jesus. The enemy does that so that I can't, I can't perceive, I can't accept that God still loves me in spite of me. That's all the devil wants you to think, man. Nope, nope, nope. One of, you're one of many and you're alone. Let me let me read this really quick. I wasn't going to, but I'm going to. Just because. I don't want y'all be asking for your money back. (laughs) You know I'm not well. Yeshua replied, Watch out, don't let any (laughs) I love this. Don't let anyone fool you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will lead many astray. You will hear the noise of wars nearby and the news of wars far off. See to it that you don't become frightened. Such things must happen. But the end is yet to come. For peoples will fight each other. Nations will fight each other. There will be famines and earthquakes in various parts of the world. All this is but the beginning of the birth pains. At that time, you will be arrested and handed over to be punished and put to death. And all peoples will hate you because of me. At that time, many will be trapped into betraying and hating each other. Many false prophets will appear and fool many people. And many people's love will grow cold because of increased distance, ready for this, from Torah. I'll say that again for you. And many people's love will grow cold because of increased distance from Torah. But whoever holds out till the end will be delivered. And this good news about the kingdom will be announced throughout the whole world as a witness to all the goyim. It is then that the end will come. So when you see the abomination that causes devastation spoken about through the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand the illusion here that will be the time for those in Yehudah to escape to the hills. If someone is on the roof, he must not go down to gather his belongings from his house. If someone is in the field, he must not turn his back. Turn back to get his coat. What a terrible time it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that you will not have to escape in winter or on Shabbat, for there will be trouble then, worse than there has ever been from the beginning of the world until now. And there will be nothing like it again. You see, we, we did our study of Revelation, and I'm waiting uh, for Austin to be able to be back to finish that up. I don't want to finish it without him being here, but we did that and scary stuff, and, and goodness, there's big business. I don't know if you guys know this, but End Times, preaching on End Times is big business. It's big, big business. And You know, you can sell a lot of DVDs and and all that. You can you know, people are just into it. They buy it up, they soak it up. Why? Because they want to know what's coming. I'll tell them for free. Not good stuff. Not good stuff. You can read this book for free. It's free. Free to read the Bible. Matthew twenty four, specifically four through thirteen, speaks of what's coming. We will be misled, we'll be deceived, we'll be hated for being a Christian. Most of us will grow cold from the lawlessness and iniquity that we live in. But he who endures gets saved from all this. You know when, we, when we're when we knocking each other uh, and we're, we're, we're dinging each other and we're keeping each other down instead of loving one another, this is what I see. We look back and we see the rapture coming and we elbow and elbow and elbow and we push and we step over people in order so we can get saved. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. I wish, I wish it was... Different and more simple, but it's not. We are, we are being equipped to endure an emotional and psychological onslaught that frankly folks, is just beginning. When you turn on the news, when you turn on the news for 30 minutes, it's horrible, it's upsetting, it scares you to death. your, 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 your stomach is just ate up. you're just ate up. that's such a scouting term yeah he's oh he's ate up uh so you you have this in you, and your stomach is burning and you're you know no matter who you are, you just whew, man could there be some good news now we got the Ebola up in here we got we got the cartels are in here, you know we got isIS cutting people's heads off workplace violence incidences we we you know Listen, we, we've got all these things. They're horrible things. It's going to get worse. If we're not together, I don't know what happens. He who endures gets saved. Here's my here's my question. Are you equipped? I talked about training people. Uh, you know, I can't train them with my finger. Okay, we're going shooting today. I'm going to teach you how to shoot. See, Pretend this is the trigger and that's the barrel and... This is a really nice 1911 here. It's custom. You know, I'm muzzling everybody. Uh, You know, you can't do it with that. It's it's fake. You can't do it. You've got to come with the right equipment. You've got to be prepared. You've got to equip them. You've got to arm them. Are we equipped? Are we alone? I know somebody. I know somebody. Colin, probably know who this person is. Is alone and nobody wants to be with this person. Nobody wants to be with this person. And it's their own fault. Because they ran everybody off. Everybody. Most often I find this to be the case to um, the lack of equipping the, the overall mindset. Uh, I find this to be the case in conservative politics. i when I talk about the church, you know, we're elbowing each other, stepping on each other. Uh, conservative politics... That's what we do. That's what we do. We knock each other before, before our enemy. We're so busy killing each other that we, we end up with no bullets left for the enemy. And it seems to divide us on the conservative side for whatever reason. It just seems rampant. Doesn't it seem rampant? We'll just eat each other up before we'll, before we'll realize that we're not the enemy. We don't help each other over the hurdles and obstacles of life. Some of the obstacles and the hurdles, they're scary. They're scary stuff. You ever, you ever see this at church? How you doing? How you doing? And you going by. They answer with, they answer, hey, how you doing? How you doing? And they go on by. They don't want to know how you're doing any more than you want to know how they're doing. Because if some of those people would tell you how they're doing, you would be shocked. A lady one time uh, told me, I said, uh... I can't remember I, I had I was I think I was speaking somewhere and I oh I was speaking. Yeah I know exactly where I was now I remember exactly. And I said I said, How you doing? She started to cry. I thought, what'd I say? You know, and uh so once she stopped crying, I went over to her and, and I didn't say anything. I just kind of patted her and I said, You know, my goodness, what what's wrong? She said, No one's ever asked me that I believed wanted to know. Literally, that's what she said. First thing I said is, oh, do you have a church? And she goes, that's why I don't think anybody really cares because nobody really asks wanting to know. It's a shame. So her example, her example that was given to her of people that say they want to know, how you doing? They don't really want to know. They don't really want to know. So many of us don't want to know. Talk about bearing up each other's burdens until you know what the burden is and then you don't want to bear that burden anymore. There's all kinds of stigmas and uh, just all kinds of stuff. It's, it's dumb. It's dumb. You know, it's not any different. You know, I talked about the political world. We, we, it's a circular firing squad. It's not any different in church. It is not any different in the church world, the Christian world. I have friends that that's why they don't go to church. They can't stand it. They say, these people don't love me. They don't care about me. Love your brother. No, you don't. You don't love me. I guarantee you don't love me. So he just doesn't go. You know, the Christian world is inarguably, we've lost. We've lost. We've not lost the kingdom for God because we can't lose what God has in His hand. What He says will be, will be. But we've lost what the church was supposed to be. Because we gave it up. We wrecked it. We ruined it. The same way in conservative politics, it's the same way. And I think it's inarguable that in both arenas, in politics and in church, we have lost. Is it anyone?